All right. Good evening, Internet. Uh, welcome back. This has been a long time in coming, and this one is going to be near and dear to our hearts. But you are now with Kent and Chris for Kenter at Your Own Risk, number 25, the Stephen King edition. Um, this is another one that almost seemed overwhelming to do before we set like a framework for it. So if you're a big Stephen King fan and you have watched all of the shorts or even some of them or none of them, but you're interested in finding out about them that have been done with his short stories. Well, unfortunately you're not going to get that at this podcast because that takes the list from like over a hundred properties to like closer to 300 properties. And we would be here till tomorrow still doing the, uh, the podcast if we were going to cover them. But outside of that, this is the second time we're trying to get this one going because there's been technical difficulties, uh, trouble getting together. So I'm really excited to actually finally be doing this now. How are you doing, Kent? I'm good. I mean, my God, it's been, I think we've been trying to get this done for close to a month now. And I'm just happy to be doing this. I, I think I've said this a few times. This is one of the podcasts that when we started this this is one of the few topics i knew that i wanted to get done like i don't give a fuck like i don't want this podcast to die but like this is one of them that i need to have done before this podcast came to its conclusion like i mean i mean you started the uh, getting me into this stuff with the blog over a stephen king movie so i mean it's right. perfectly apropos yeah, I, I'm just super excited about that, and uh, honestly, I'm kind of excited. I've heard from a couple people that uh, have been listening to the podcast, which, uh, you know, that's that's cool. Uh, so, appreciate anybody that is listening, and uh, tell your friends that we're not horrible. Or, I mean, tell them that we're horrible and they can listen to a train wreck, but just get them to listen. <laughs> I mean, say that we're semi-adequate. I mean, that would get my attention. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, if we go right into the, the big-ass list of Stephen King properties. In yeah. case you, hey, if you don't know who Stephen King is, he's like a really famous horror author. So, I mean, there you go. Um, hey, he just celebrated like a, I don't know, wasn't it like a 75th birthday? Um, or 74, maybe. Something like that. I mean, yeah, he's 74. been... He's been writing longer than I've been alive. That really puts some shit in perspective, doesn't it? And his, his one of his sons writes under Joe Hill. He's a really good author, too. And actually, some of the stuff on this list are collaborations between son and father. So, Also, I just want to say, I, everybody that is like... Uh, readers you know uh i'm i'm not that person so i'm not gonna be able to bring that kind of knowledge to this so don't don't expect much from me other than movie conversation chris on the other hand though is well well read so i i've read a i haven't read everything if he's ever written and like some of his most i've never read the stand yeah, I don't. Haha, <laughs> my only moral victory of the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I've read a lot of them, so um, all right, let's just get started. So yeah. 
And one of the weird things is like his first couple of books and his first couple of movies don't sync up time timeline correctly. Cause like, um, I think Carrie was like his fourth book maybe. And that got picked up to be his first movie. And after the success of Carrie, a whole bunch of his earlier stuff. And then basically everything he's written since then has been picked up. But to get go along with that, starting out, our first movie is Carrie in 1976. I think rightly regarded as a classic horror movie. Oh, God, yes. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, probably, I don't know, I'm just going to guess you probably saw this before you were an adult. So, like, there's times in the movie where, like, as a kid watching it, I was like, eh, boring, boring, boring. Holy shit, things have gotten real awesome type thing. Yeah, I was a teenager the first time I saw it. Um, I remember when I was younger, like under 10, uh, we weren't allowed to read Stephen King because our parents didn't want us to get scared. Because I remember my brother went to the, the public library in Johnson one day. I went with him. And I got my, my whatever fantasy books I was reading, and my brother grabbed it and... Uh, different seasons and the stand and like the librarian looked at him like as we were leaving called my aunt and we got home and my aunt was like no turn around and go turn those back in so we had to walk <laughs> all the way back to the library and oh man that sucks but that's funny so consequently I also didn't see a lot of his movies until I got a little bit older um, and I want to say probably about Eh, maybe eight or nine or ten, like, and we had demonstrated that we could see, you know, horror movies without like disintegrating or melting down or whatever. Um, so I went back and watched some of them, uh, but some of the other ones, you know, I didn't see until later on when I was older and I got to choose, you know, what I watched, kind of shit. I'm pretty sure I saw this, like, you know, you remember back in the day, like, on Fox, on the weekends, they would show, like, two to four movies uh, from, like, noon until six or sometimes to eight because they didn't <laughs> have, like, Fox and They didn't have, like, a news at six or anything. And I'll just say this. So, like, having seen it as a kid and then much later on renting it and then seeing the opening scene in the freaking girls' locker room, I was like, Wait a second, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> My mind was fucking blown, dude. <laughs> In the best way possible, but <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Carrie, I think, is a really good movie. It's anchored by a bunch of really solid performances. Um, it, it doesn't go over the top so much that, like, I kind of think the, the remake did. Uh, we can discuss that when we get to the remake, but um, it's also fairly true to the book. You know, it's it's not like a one for one recreation, but it's not something where like they just took the idea and sneezed at it, and that was how they titled it. You know, like when I was, I mean, so in part B of this podcast, we're going to do some lists, and one of the things is like our best antagonist, and. I almost included Margaret White, and I wasn't sure. I consider her an antagonist, but I wasn't sure if universally people considered her an antagonist. And I, I end up leaving her off. She didn't make my cut, but I still thought she was like how she portrayed it was really, really good. And once again, something that 
Julianne Moore, as great of an actress as she is, she wasn't able to do as good as Piper Laurie, in my opinion. I, I would agree with that. Like I, Again, I really like Julianne Moore, but I don't know, sometimes somebody just inhabits a role so much that you know the remake, it's tough for them to do. Like I really liked Vince Vaughn in the Psycho remake, but you know, comparing him to um, uh, what's his name, Anthony Perkins, yeah, is always going to come up short. No matter that he did a, a good performance, it just you know, Anthony Perkins right. is Norman Bates. It, uh, one one final thing I gotta say is it's funny to me in hindsight. I knew who the hell Sissy Spacek was long before I knew who the fuck John Travolta was. <laughs> I was just like, who the hell is John? Like, it took me probably, Pulp Fiction was probably the first time I was like, oh, John Travolta, okay, this guy was supposedly famous. Uh, yeah, I was completely oblivious. I remember him in a movie called The Experts, but um, that was basically the first thing I remember seeing him in. My parents would talk about him. They'd, oh, you know what? I remember seeing Saturday Night Fever and Staying Alive when I was little. Because my parents were both into that fucking disco. But, um, yeah, I'd agree with you there. Uh, one little anecdotal story I have is when I was in the Army station over in Germany, we did a, uh, a haunted house in one of our barracks, which was kind of creepy enough itself because you would go down into the basement and there would be, like, swastikas carved into the wood from, you know, the actual Nazis who lived there in the 40s. And um, the room that scared the kids the most, we had this girl dressed up recreating the carry scene where they dumped the blood on her and they would open the door and a bucket of blood would tip over and fall on her and she would scream and that dude that scared the shit like her scream she did her she was a really good screamer like fucking those kids were like paralyzed paralyzed after that movie. they like their parents had to drag them out of there cuz they couldn't move uh, dude uh, yeah i mean the they're all going to laugh at you. I mean, that's all... I don't know. There's so much... Interestingly enough, if you go to, like, Brian De Palma, who's the director, if you go to his IMDb page, this isn't even one of his top four movies listed on there, and I'm like, aside from The Untouchables, I think this holds up well against anything else that they have listed, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, The Untouchables is a phenomenal movie, but... I love The Untouchables. Yeah. All right. Moving on, his second thing that was done, and I didn't realize this was a miniseries when it um, when it came out, because again, it wasn't one. It came out the year I was born, so I didn't watch it then, obviously. And it wasn't until years later that I watched it. And I don't remember if VHS it was one disc or two discs, but um, it was long. Uh, and finding out that it was a miniseries when it was released made sense, but it was Salem's Lot, which came out in 1979. Yeah, it had to have been two, well, not two discs, two tapes. Had to have been, I would think. Uh, I think so, but, you know, it's been so long since I've watched anything on VHS that I don't really remember specifics of stuff like that. Right. Wow, this got nominated for three primetime Emmys. It, Good for I, um, I was old enough when I watched it that this one definitely has some effects that can seem dated, but... Overall, I thought it was a really good job. And again, it's another one that hews pretty closely to the source material, the, uh, the book. So, and I'm pretty sure you've seen it, because I'm pretty sure we've talked about it before on our Vampire podcast. Uh, yeah, actually, this October I wrote about it. And 
so I'll tell an embarrassing. Why well, consider kind of an embarrassing story is, I've seen the movie a few times, and no point did I ever enjoy the damn thing. Uh, I I just didn't, and I don't know if it's just getting older or having a better attention span. I I don't know. But this October, specifically sitting here watching it by myself with no distractions, I was thoroughly entertained, if you will. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, I don't know. It, it was just weird that I, I've spent like my whole life sitting there thinking, no, this fucking movie's overrated as fuck. And like, there are times like the vampires and the fog, it's like, okay, but you know, I've seen the parodies of it so many times that. You know, back then, I'm sure it was cool as shit, but, you know, I'm, I'm so used to having seen cartoons parody and stuff that, you know, for a while, I, I guess it just kind of seemed mundane, but to see it, you know, now, it, it was just, it really was a good experience in Straker and, and uh, what was it, Barlow. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I'll just say that on my 15 best guilty pleasures, um... The trio of, uh, oh, Jesus, um, Julie Cobb, George, I don't know how to pronounce the name, Zunda, and Fred Willard, who played Bonnie, Cully, and Larry, those three just were a delight to watch for me. Like, to see young Fred Willard, and I love George from Deer Hunter. I, I don't know Julie Cobb from much of anything, I don't think, but, like, I, I love that their whole story, I guess. I remember one of the things that really got people back when the the book first came out was the fact that, like, violence against kids, you know, like, kids get turned into vampires. And, and that was definitely one of the, uh, I guess, original selling points for this compared to a lot of, you know, other similar um, vamp- vampire story. I mean, they're always coming out with vampire stuff, so... Um, Actually, that's a big selling point for me for Ethan Hawke's new film coming out. Oh, um, that looks good. Because they're doing violence against children. I know that sounds like a horrible thing for me to say as a selling point, but it's kind of like a taboo thing, and I'm all about the taboo and horror. So, like, I'm excited to see just how far they go with it. You know, like, I don't know, just kind of excited for it. That That's my point. Well, it's, it's realistic, because... I mean, think about it. the most easily victimized people are children. Oh, yeah, it's it just, you know, I mean, people are still super sensitive to it, understandably, but it also makes sense that if you see it visually, you're, Ethan Hawke's going to be such a hated character. It's going to be, I think it's going to be an incredible experience as long as it's done remotely, competently. And, you know, having seen Salem's Lot, like, yeah, it, it, that was done competently. Well, I think... That's a theme that goes through a lot of Stephen King stuff, though. I mean, just the childhood, the victimization, the you know, like the realism of what it's like being a kid. Because, like, I mean, if you if you look through, like, I want to say maybe the next ten, fifteen movies on the list, the main characters, a bunch of them are kids. So, kids, but I mean. My goodness, yo! Know, when I, I was doing this, I'm like, how many freaking movies have like bullies in them? I, there's like so many unique themes. I don't want to say unique, but there's so many themes that you see repeated time and time and time again in Stephen King stories. Um, 
and even like names, certain names he uses quite frequently even. But bullies is always a big thing, you know, pertain to kids. Yeah, I don't know. It's always interesting. I'd, I don't know. Like, I'd love to learn more about Stephen King. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff out there, and I just am lazy. Well, the one thing I'll say for, for like, his nonfiction stuff, he, he wrote two books about writing, right? Um, one was early in his career. I want to say maybe it was, like, his sixth or seventh book called Dance Macabre. And it was pretty long and florid and very wordy and he was all up on his own hype and it was fucking probably the worst thing I've ever read that he's written and then years and years and years later I think this was after he had the accident where he almost decided not to go back to writing and just retire completely um, he wrote another book called just simply on writing and it was relatively short it was very succinct but I think it's probably the best thing that you can read if you're interested in how to write and how to write successfully. Like He's able to, to break down and distill all of the shit that he tried to say in Dance Macabre, but like was too enamored of his own voice to be able to say and make it like simplistic and lowest common denominator so everybody can understand it kind of shit. Interesting. But he talks about a decent amount of about himself in like interviews and stuff like that that he's written. So he's he's pretty open when people ask him stuff. Um, quick question. I mean, really, mm-hmm. aside from this and Die Hard, does anybody know Bonnie Bedelia for anything else? Oh, uh, I mean, I, I now you're gonna make me look because I I know I've seen her in a fucking <laughs> bunch of shit. I'm doing my job making you look for stuff. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing Presumed Innocent. Um, shit, she was in Needful Things, too. Oh, shit, who the hell was she in Needful Things? Polly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the arthritis, which I can oh, start the boy, to. The boy who could fly? Come on, don't tell me you didn't have to watch that a whole bunch of times when you were growing up. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You didn't get forced to watch The Boy Who Could Fly? No. My parents made me watch it. They were like, oh, it's such a good movie. Let's watch it. Oh, Bonanza. That was probably her biggest thing. Oh, never. Well, as a kid, as a kid. Anyways, anyways, let's move on because otherwise this is going to be... I I want to toss out one small thing. Jeffrey Lewis is in this, and I didn't know who he was until I looked him up, and he played Roy Sullivan in Devil's Rejects. I was like, that's kind of cool. Just saying. Still, yeah, I still don't know who he is. He was the guy that like hit on Baby Firefly at the hotel before they took everybody kind of hostage in, in the motel hotel, whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> moving on, our next one is the actual reason that I think we're doing a podcast. Uh, hooked me in. Um, but The Shining... That was the the first thing I remember seeing you ask for collaborators for your blog for. And it was a fun fucking time. I mean, dude, it's one of my first five horror movies I ever saw. And it's the only movie I can legitimately say gave me consistent nightmares as a kid. It, It was the only thing that scared me. 
This was another one I, I didn't watch until later on in life. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't get the experience of being scared as a kid by it. But, wow, just fucking, like, just reading about all of the shit that went along with the production is really interesting. You know, like, all of the shit that... Um, uh, Shelley Duvall and Kubrick? Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, that Kubrick put Shelley Duvall through. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, like, um, it comes out in her performance, though. It, it it does, and it it took me as an adult to really kind of appreciate her performance. Um, it, it definitely... It was one of those movies, actually, I didn't watch again until probably in my teenage years. Like, it wasn't that I avoided watching it. it I don't think it was on TV all that much, quite frankly, because, I mean, it is a kind of a long movie, and Kubrick films don't get on TV all that much back in the, you know, those days. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, it took me for, but, um, my goodness. Like, one thing I'm annoyed at is when I looked at my review, I think I only gave this movie, like, an 8.5, and I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? This movie's much, much, much higher and whatever, but... Is that an 8.5 on the Kent scale? Yeah, so an 8.5 out of 9.2, this movie is is at least a 9, if not a 9.2. Like, it's just one of the things that's as close to perfection, but I, I'm also a huge Kubrick fan. And the more and more I learn about Kubrick, the, like, I've seen, what was it, Room 237, like, that documentary. I, I don't know, I, I'm just enamored by so much stuff with this movie and then like I know we'll talk about Dr. Sleep to like see some of the stuff like they paralleled for example like it's just I don't know all cool shit and uh, I don't know I I just really liked it and another one of my 15 guilty pleasures is absolutely fucking Scatman Crothers as Dick Halloran love that man and that ties into a little point to bring up is that this is not this is a great movie, but it's not necessarily a great uh, translation of King's work. In fact, it's almost as if Stephen King might have not liked this. Oh, maybe? <laughs> it's it's actually probably his most well-documented hate out of all of the, the movies that have been done on his works. To the point that he finally got a new version made. Oh, shit. What, what year did they make that? 96, 97, something like that. 98, yeah. maybe. Um, which was closer to the book, but and good, but I don't think as good as the movie. Uh, imagine the predicament of that. Like it's arguably his best known film, like story to film, and yet to hate it. Like that's such a weird predicament, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, the the one thing I'll say though is that that kind of ties into. Doctor Sleep, in that the changes they they tried to reconcile the book and the movie, and I think they did a good job. But I think the changes that they had to make because they reconciled it to the movie end up hurting that movie more than uh, if they had kept it closer to the book. Fair enough. Moving on, we get into Creep Show, the original one, nineteen eighty two. Did King write every story for it? You know, I only researched Creepshow 2. I don't think so, but he may have. And the thing is, like, he writes stuff, and then Romero did, like, the sc- 
screenplays. So yeah. I, I mean, how much who did what, you know, flip a fucking coin as far as I'm concerned. But he definitely had a heavy hand in it, if nothing else. And oh, he yeah. also performed in it. I mean, yeah, he did. Yes. Was this the first one that he was actually in? I don't remember him being in any of the early, the three that we've just talked about. Yeah, so I, don't I, think so. I think so. And he was great. Like he was fun in it. And I, I gotta ask you, what was your favorite of the five stories? All right, I'm trying to remember all of them. So there, uh, there was Father's Day, which is that the one where um, Ed Harris and then the father comes back from the grave type buries thing. him in the in the beach. No, no, that's the Leslie Nielsen, Ted Danson one. Okay. Um, then you had the cockroaches, you had the Stephen dude, King one. And the, the roaches grapes. one just fucking bothers me. I hate <laughs> bugs, I hate roaches. You know, like how Mimic is like a fucking, like, right. <laughs> top scary movie for me. Um, so the roaches one always stuck with me. I guess the, okay, something to tide you over was the Ted Danson one. Um, the crate I remember because I remember my parents had one of his short story collections and the, the crate was the picture that was on the cover um, I, I think the one that might have been my favorite might have been the Stephen King one. Oh, really okay it, well, it, it definitely you definitely feel it Sure, like I, the, I agree. The despair at the end of that one. I see. I think probably my favorite is something to tide you over, just because I like seeing Leslie Nielsen as the bad guy. But as I've gotten older, I'm telling you, the crate gets better and better with time because Adrian Barbeau is such a good bitch character. Like she nailed that role so well that yeah, you love to hate her. I don't know. I just I really think Creepshow One was solid all the way through. I I would agree, and yet I don't like it nearly as much as I like Creepshow Two. E, I would agree with that too, but I think Creepshow Two had like a highlight and then a low light. I would agree with that too. <laughs> it, I think Creepshow Two had. I don't want to say it's an advantage, but they had more time to tell each story. So in some yeah. ways that's advantageous. In some ways, you know, Creepshow 1 was so good because, you know, you may have liked four of the five, whereas Creepshow 2, you may have only liked, say, The Raft. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, it's one, you can look at it both ways, but still excellent. And it was, gosh, how many times he teamed up with Romero in one way or another, like, what was it, three or four times, I want to say, in, in some capacity, and this was the first of them. Just, I don't know. It was a good mix. I mean, you have... Uh, well, they're now legends now, but I don't know if they were necessarily considered legends back then, but, you know, a horror auteur from the movie side and a horror auteur from the book side getting together to make a movie. Yeah, I mean, that probably... I mean, maybe back in the day, and you know, the before time before, you know, you and I really are that familiar, you know, Vincent Price probably did some cool shit with somebody, but... Yeah, oh yeah. It just seems like a Vincent Price thing, right? Yeah, it really does. <laughs> Dude was fucking prolific, too. Yeah. All right. Moving along, we come to Cujo. Boo. 
You don't like it? Not a fan? <laughs> it's, it's definitely in my bottom five of the movies that I reviewed of Stephen King. I just, I'm bored by it. I, I get why some people like it. It is just not for me. And Dee Wallace is an ex- excellent actress. She does great in the role. I just am bored to tears by this movie. I gave it a 2.8. That's a really low re- review score for me. That is. Yeah, I'm sorry, people. I really liked it. Um, and one of the things I think, I think it's, you know, uh, I, I think I, we remarked back a couple podcasts ago, but they don't make too many, like, animal horror movies anymore. You know, like, I mean, Pet Cemetery 2, come on! Crawl being, uh, you know, one of the only ones I can remember recently, but, like, Cujo was really parodied and, um, yeah, it hit the public conscious, I think, in a way that a lot of Stephen King's other movies didn't. I mean, I remember movies all throughout the 80s where there'd be, like, a crazy dog or something, and they'd be like, calm down, Cujo, or something. Oh, gosh. Like, the yeah. name Cujo has been used in so many things. Uh, in some ways, like, its impact after the fact, rather than the movie, is just as astounding in its own way, I think. Yeah, I think it's definitely... I think it worked better as a book, and I'm trying to remember... Uh, I, I know that one of the big differences... Like, this was a big difference between the book and the movie. Um, I don't remember if it was the movie or if it was the book, but the, the kid gets killed by the dog in one of them, and he lives in the other one. I think he lives in the film. Okay, so I think he dies in the book. That would make sense. They are remaking this, right? Like, that's one of the things that I'm I pretty th- sure... I- I'm pretty sure I've heard that, yes, they're remaking it, but... Although, at the top of Stephen King's IMDb, there's Cujo, Canine Unit Joint Operations. That's probably the one that they were talking about. <laughs> Good lord, take my money now, I want to see what train wreck that is. <laughs> but again, uh, we didn't mention it really in, in The Shining, but you've got Danny in The Shining, and now uh, fucking, was it Danny also in Cujo? whatever the, the kid's name was. So, I mean, a lot of movies, um, Ted, uh, with, you know, kid victims, characters, whether you ever you want to say. Um, all right, moving on, we get to a really weird case in the dead zone. Oh, um, yeah. I say weird because it, it's really, if you, if you've read it, it's not really like a horror story per se. Uh, I mean, there's there's some creepy stuff in it, but it was like one of the first books that kind of fell outside of like Stephen King being Stephen King, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely not horror first. It's more drama first than anything. Um, it, the weird thing, you know, now that you bring it up, is not only was it written by Stephen King, they ended up having freaking David Cronenberg directing it, and I mean. David fucking Cronenberg, okay? So it's this weird marriage, and yet, god damn it, this was another movie I just reviewed in October, because I hadn't seen it in years. It's so freaking good, and it's not even filled with, like, your typical Cronenberg stuff. Yeah, it's a very subdued movie. It it is. But Walken's performance, 
you know, there's so many people. Think about this. There's people 10, 20 years younger than us that have no idea that walk-in, you know, Deer Hunter and Dead Zone, like, the dude could act. He wasn't always a parody of himself, so to speak. I mean, just think about, like, seeing him in, like, Suicide Kings or Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Ira, you are the man. Shit, shit. Even, even the little, little bit part he had in Annie Hall. Paul Fiction man hit that yeah. uncomfortable hunk of metal up up his ass. <laughs> this is an important watch. <laughs> but, <laughs> I can't do. I can't do walking. Uh, yeah. But- I mean, I'm glad he was able to discover and run around with his comedic side after being kind of typecast for years and years and years but but yeah he's a fucking good actor yeah now did did you say you you read the book right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the girl in it the his lady that he was engaged to is she uh, did did they make, basically do her character well in in the movie compared to the book i i think so you know, it's it's been a long time since I've read it, but and it's been longer since I've seen it. Uh, Her role but yeah, is very I re- complicated. I remember know? it being relatively true to um, to the to the book. Like you know, when you watch the movie, you feel horrible for Walken because you know he was engaged to this beautiful girl, and then coma and then you know she's with another man but simultaneously like she also kind of went through hell but we didn't see all those all that time that she went through the hell yeah it was complicated role and i just thought that it was really just really well done yeah i i tend to forget this movie when i'm thinking of stephen king stuff but i think it should be a lot higher in a lot of lists than it typically gets um Place. Oh yeah. If people well, even remember it. Also, Tom Skerritt back when he was young, and Martin Sheen, and at least, well, his first uh, Stephen King movie. He's later on in at least Firestarter. So, got I like me some Martin Sheen. All right, so we're gonna get to the next one, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a shame, but Christine is next. And I have never seen Christine, nor if I ever read Christine. The fuck? I, I don't. I don't. It just. Okay. I. You know, it's never been on, and it's never. Like I don't. I don't think I could go and stream it right now, even if I was gonna just try to. You know. Yeah, I mean, if if you got my my voodoo, you can, but oh. I don't know where to stream it. Um. All right. So from one extreme to the other. This was, aside from Monster Squad, this was my childhood movie. Which I know is really weird, and I, I know, like, since you haven't seen it, like, you can't sit there and say, like, Kat, that's really kind of a fucked up thing to be a childhood film, but it really was! Like, I just liked everything, and I loved how creepy Robert's Blossom was. He was another one in my uh, fucking guilty pleasures we all know Robert's Blossom for people that don't know the name as the the old guy with the shovel in Home Alone. <laughs> okay, now the Southbound Shovel Slayer of '69. 
if you if you look up what Robert's Blossom wears in Christine, you will understand just how fucking creepy the dude looks. And he has such a small role. He just sells he sells the car, Christine, to the main character, but he looks so fucking creepy, and he's awesome. So, uh, I have no, it, the movie is not aged well, by the way, but. Uh, it, it's just one of those nostalgia things that's always going to be fond in my heart, even though I know it's not as good as I remember it type thing. Is this another one that I've heard they're remaking too? Christine? Yeah. Uh, I've heard that as well. Um, but, you know, if you look at everything that's being made, there's like 20-some projects being made, oh, yeah. supposedly. Right. So, uh, Maybe. So I'm sorry, I can't give you more for for Christine Kent. That's okay. I, I mean, I still, I, I I love you plutonically. Okay. Um, moving on, the next one is one. I think this might have been one of the first Stephen King movies I saw. Definitely not the maybe the second Stephen King movie I saw growing up. Uh, Children of the Corn. And I will say this: when I was a kid, it fucking scared the shit out of me. Yeah, Th- this was another one of those. Hey, it's Saturday, 4 p.m. Let's see what's on Fox. Oh, Children of the Corn. Well, let's see how this begins. Oh, a massacre in a diner with, like, hands getting chopped off and Malachi playing ping pong or pinball with the fucking machete and these just fucking bloody brilliant, but as a child, you're just sitting there like, holy shit, what am I seeing type thing? Yeah, one of the the scenes that stuck in my mind that I remembered bothering me was when they... was it a girl at the beginning running away? I think so. That they hit in the... Anyways, the kid who's running away, they, they slit her, his, her throat, and then she runs into the road and gets hit by the... Uh, Peter the, Horton and Lynn yeah, Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton. Yeah, but I remember like the scene where you actually see them slit the throat was, I think, one of the, f- the first ones where they really showed that I remember seeing, you know, as a kid growing up, the actual slicing of the throat. More right. Than, yeah. Um... Yeah, and the whole idea of he who walks behind the rose. Which, I mean, has all but been confirmed to be the entity that we'll talk about in other things. Okay. I mean, it it has been, as far as I'm concerned, it's been confirmed that it's, you know, Flag, Linoge. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that could make sense. Um, Uh. So, yeah, that, that was creepy as a kid, too. You know, that, that in the same way as, like, the Graboids and Tremors were before you really saw them. Yeah. Uh, all right, quick question. Who's creepier, Malachi or Isaac? Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough choice. I probably have to go Isaac because they keep bringing him back. You know, oh, my so. God. Isaac six, the re- Isaac's return... Part six is actually surprisingly good because we're not going to go over all the freaking sequels because I think there's nine movies in total, but most of them are not good at all. But I actually quite liked part six. I have a really funny story that's very wrong on a lot of levels, but I'll tell you it to you quickly. When I worked at the ARC, we had one gentleman who liked to wander out like into the woods and he would get himself like. Uh, you know, poison ivy and all kinds of bad stuff. So when I got there, I'd heard them say, tell him, don't go out there because Mal- of Malachi. And I'm like, are you guys referring to Children of the Corn? And they're like, yeah. I was like, 
Holy shit, you guys are scaring this, like, 50-year-old guy into not going into the woods with Malachi. <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> it worked in its wrong way. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, however, Children of the Corn is not a good translation of the short story. It's, in fact, complete differentiation from it. That makes uh, sense. You know, in the, in the story... The, the family or the the, the couple um, show up in town you know after all of the events that have happened um, and they end up getting sacrificed to he who walks behind the rose and they the die the couple do? yeah oh okay Did, I mean I don't even know if you're a South Park fan but have you ever seen the South Park episode that was based on this? I haven't no I am a South Park fan but I, there's a lot of South Park that I haven't seen I would say it's season f- five, maybe. I don't know. I'll have to look it up at some point. But there's that. And I have to say, I knew Linda Hamilton from Children of the Corn, not from Terminator as a kid. That's just a weird fact. Yeah, uh, same for me. And yeah. and Beauty and the Beast before I saw Ter- oh, yeah. Terminator. Yeah, good call. Moving right. along, we come into Firestarter. Um. Again, it's you know like it's not a scary story. I mean, it's definitely I think a thriller. We could phrase it as that, but I wouldn't put it in the horror genre. No, it's not horror. But again, I think it's another really good movie. I mean, um. Wait a second, Chris. You just had an p- opportunity to say it's horror adjacent, and you didn't take it. I'm sorry. You're slipping. It's um, okay. So when you edit this, uh, <laughs> it's horror adjacent. <laughs> there we go. Um, I don't know. I think it just has some really strong performances. You know, I don't think it's necessarily a like a great screenplay, if you know what I mean. But between Drew's like child performance and then George C. Scott. Oh my George C. Scott is John Radenberg. I mean, he is sadistic as fuck in the book, and they did couldn't quite fully translate it onto screen, but he, he did a good job with it. Yeah. With what he had presented to him. Um also David Keith in probably his own best role. Yeah, the one that I remember him most from was Major League Two, but yeah, definitely a, a good role for him. Um, I'll, again, I'll throw Martin Sheen my, as well. Yeah, yeah, and another guilty pleasure. People that show up on my guilty pleasure: Art Carney and Louise Fletcher as Irv and Norma Manders. I mean, it's a small role, but I, I really liked how Art played Irv. Like, like I said, small, but I just I don't know. It's one of those things I always look forward to, and like the first time that she really exhibits her powers when they show up on the farm, and. Also, the movie kind of starts in Albany, so that's... It's not Maine, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and this... I'm not trying to give anybody a heart heck, but I actually read this book. How well did you think the movie stuck to the book? Um, as a person that's seen the movie probably you know five to ten times beforehand, I, I thought that, considering the time frame and everything, I thought they did as about as good of a job as they kind of could have. I, I, don't, I don't really know. 
don't know, at least a 7 out of 10 on effort. Yeah, I mean, I think it was an okay version. I don't think it was, like, really true, but I don't think they deviated too far. I think it was more like budget and time constraints. There was a lot, if I'm not mistaken, like, there was a lot more in the book about, like, Rainbird and Charlie's relationship that, you know, they tried to do, but I mean... There's only so much time, so how much time are yeah. you going to spend on that particular... Uh, we'll find out, because this is one of the next ones that is being remade that's coming out. I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I mean, at least from everything I've been hearing, the people doing the remake are real Stephen King fans, so... Yeah, better than fucking Josh Gad. Um, Wait, is that the person I wanted to insult? I'm not sure if that's the person I wanted to insult. Josh Josh Gad is the guy who did Olaf from Frozen. I mean. Um, hang on one second here. That's definitely not the person I wanted to insult. The person I wanted to insult's name is Josh Boone. My bad. He was the guy who did the Pet Cemetery remake. Nope, did the stand. Oh, okay. Yes. So my bad. Love you, Josh Gad. <laughs> uh, did you did you ever see Little Monsters? Um, with Fred Savage? No, it was the, the, the zombie one about like the, the, I think it takes place in Australia and it's, um, a kindergarten class goes on a, uh, field trip and a zombie outbreak happens at the same time that the, it was pretty fun. He's in that. He plays like, Josh Gad plays like a, pretend like a Mr. Rogers type character. Uh, only he's like all about like sleeping with the single mothers of the kids that he's like, you know, interacting with. It's 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 a fucked up part. <laughs> it's pretty Fair funny. Enough. Uh, you know what? I think he was on like an episode of Talking Dead, and I think I actually kind of liked him. And now I'm feeling bad that I tossed his name out there for no reason. No, no, you own it, Kent. Own it. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm proud of it. Whatever. <laughs> I'm cool with whatever. All right, so we come into another anthology Stephen King movie in Cat's Eye in 1985? 85. I remember... This was one of the first ones I really remember seeing a lot of um, marketing for when I was growing up, seeing seeing ads for on TV and shit. Do you think it's because Drew was... So, like, becoming huge at the time? Or because Steve King movies had performed so well? What do you think it was? I think both. Both? Like, all of the marketing that I do remember seeing, though, definitely took place around the Drew story with the the little troll thing. The weakest of the three? Yeah, the weakest of the three. But also the one that wasn't... I think that was written straight up as an original story for it. I I never remember seeing anything about it in... um, any of the short stories, anthologies that I've read of his. Yeah. But I have read um, The Ledge and uh, I forgot what's it. Smoker's Ink. Your Smoker's right? Ink, yeah. Which do you prefer this to? For the story, for the, the movie wise? Or yes. for. I think Smoker's Ink is definitely just a really fucking good, creepy fucking. Yeah. Uh-huh. Both. Both on screen and in the book. 
James Woods was great, but Alan Alan King actually I thought owned that segment. Like, and I'm a James Woods guy, but Alan King is the doctor. Uh, <laughs> he was so like evil. He was pure evil in his own way. And you know the fucking the music uh, was every breath you take song and like even like when woods was at the party and like seeing shit weird like it was just a really well done segment and yet the ledge the ledge almost had like a twilight zone feel to it i i would agree with you there it's like the ledge is a fucking it's a good story and um i don't think they did a bad job but it almost felt like somebody else like directed it you know what i mean i i yeah i would agree it's good though man also what was it 99 tears was the other song in smoker's inc that like i i quit smoking myself but like when i was reading all of these stories for the first time a lot of the smoking ones like uh smoker smoker's inc and there was another one in another book he did about like people who were quitting smoking but not all the way there could see like uh the 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 fact that like there were like monsters in you know invaded into like business and government and shit you know all of these stories he wrote about like his time trying to quit smoking i was still smoking when i read them i'm like yep i fucking completely get where you're going from dude makes sense and i mean i've never been a smoker so i can't fully relate but it makes sense like the the troll one was cool, I guess you know it was silly, interesting, but yeah. I mean, because later on we'll see, uh, was it in Tales from the Dark Side, the whole cat trying to, like steal breath thing, mm-hmm. like like it kind of co- coincides with Cat's Eye in, in its own weird way, with the stealing breath troll and yeah. the cat, yeah. That's my intelligent offering. So I think um, I would say that Smoker's Inc. was a really good copy. Uh, the Ledge was an okay version. Uh, and uh, I don't ever remember seeing anything about what I forgot. I don't even remember what the hell the third one was called. The Troll One. I don't know what it's called. The Troll One. I don't think, I don't think he ever wrote a story about the Troll One. No, uh, and I think the only thing that kind of brought the ledge down a little bit from being like a good direct translation was the fact that like there was never anything about a cat in it in the fir- in the actual story. You know, they kind of shoehorned that in. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. The one thing about the ledge is the fucking I don't know. I think they're pigeons, man. Just pecking at his leg. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. that, that would suck. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of heights either, so that oh, would have no. been yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on. We come yeah. to the first Stephen King movie I ever saw that kind of traumatized me when I when I saw it. Uh, Silver Bullet. And I believe it was 1986. And I was down with my family in Long Island for the summer. My brother and I used to go and stay with my grandparents and my aunts and uncles down there. And um, I remember my aunt, my aunt Nikki and my aunt Jenny... We're like, hey, you guys want to watch a buddy story about a werewolf? So, I don't know where they were going with this, but, you know, my brother and I were like, oh, 
You like say a buddy story? A buddy story about a werewolf. So I'm thinking, okay. oh, the, the werewolf's friends with, like, the kid. Okay, yeah, that, that sounds cool. And then the very first scene is, a like, a train conductor, or, like, the guy who switches the tracks, getting his head knocked off by the werewolf, and they th- people think that he gets hit by I'm like, yeah, and I'm six, and my brother's five when we see this, so, you know, that kind of, uh, it may have bothered us a little bit more. <laughs> Like giving us nightmares for the rest of the summer. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, plus, if you're on a werewolf buddy movie, the first thing that jumps to mind is American Werewolf in London, at the very least. I mean, I get where they were going with like the buddy story between like Corey Heim and and his uncle, you know, Gary Busey. Oh, Busey. Yeah. One of, one of the only movies that Busey survives. Oh, he's so good. I, I actually, I found something on Amazon. It's like a really small poster, and it's of Silver Bullet. I'm like, huh, I can't believe this actually was made to the point where I kind of wanted to buy it. It was like nine bucks or something. I still may buy it, because how much memorabilia do you see of Silver Bullet? It, yeah, not much. It, it wasn't like a great movie by any means. It was, it was an entertaining romp that I've seen quite a few times. And how often do you see like the main... Like, okay, so once again, kids uh, as mm-hmm. kind of like the main ones. A kid in a wheelchair. Like, you don't... I don't know. You didn't see that at the time. I mean, you still don't really see it. No, you you don't. Not I mean, very aside often. from what? Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you had the guy in the... I mean, he wasn't a kid, but I mean, he was young in the wheelchair. But you really didn't see that in horror much at all. I don't know. It's interesting. Nope. Um, so yeah, this was one that, you know, I watched real young and it Mm. definitely had an impact on me. And then it was, so I watched years later to see, you know, if it's held up and, uh, I I would agree with you. It doesn't really hold up. No, it's it's it's, a product of its time. Yeah. It's not a, a very well shot movie. It's a, it's very eighties. Like you said. Right. I mean, it had a Corey in it. Of course it's the eighties. But. Busey survived one of his like three or four movies I can think of where he, he did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, I mean, he's got some Sean Bean in him. That's for sure. I, um, I remember years and years and years later, I was in the, in high school and, um, I was staying over at my dad's after he and my mom split and my sister was, somewhere else on vacation or or um, visiting her mom or something and um, I'm just looking through her books and she had one called Cycle of the Werewolf and I started reading it and like I got to the part the first part where the reverend is having dreams I'm like holy shit this is fucking this is the thing Silver Bullet was based on no shit and I that, just learned that you had a sister I, I didn't even know that yeah um I- <laughs> So, uh, that's a whole different story. Um, Fair enough. So, uh, it was pretty close. Okay. Movie to book, but um, you know, there were some different differences. It it definitely made the Reverend out to be a more sympathetic character. In the book. In the book, yeah. Okay. Like he wasn't necessarily a non-sympathetic character until like a certain point where he just fucking decides to flip out in the movie but 
but yeah, it was definitely more sympathetic in the book. Okay. All right. So now I just want to point out something. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So if you're going by IMDb, the next thing that's listed is The Mist, a video game. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I looked up. It was like a, a text computer game. And I was like, I'd like to see what the hell that actually was at some point. Like, there's, I don't know, maybe a YouTube video or something. Like, I'm slightly intrigued, like, how bad it is. That's all. I don't think you'll probably find, a, like, a video of somebody playing a text game. <sighs> probably not. So, we come to the only Stephen King-directed movie. Oh, yes. And I know this is a... This hits a lot of Kent lists. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, maximum I, Overdrive. <laughs> you know, every June 19th, I have to watch this movie to mark the anniversary of the meteor. <laughs> 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 Some things just have to be done, and I don't care that you know my neighbors may be hearing "Who May Who" and other great ACDC songs, while you know Wanda the waitress is like "We Made You." <sighs> I have so many. F- it's not a good movie, okay? Like as much as I love it, I I know it's not a great movie. Bill Robinson may be a personal hero of mine, played by Emilio Estevez, and probably only to me. But god damn it, if that movie isn't so dumb, it's brilliant to me. Alright, so so on this list that you gave me, that we were working off of, I basically went, great movie, good movie, okay movie, bad movie, and then there's Maximum Overdrive, which I have listed as cult classic. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I was laughing because I was going through the list, and I'm like, I don't want to read what you wrote, because you know, it's, it's kind of like, I don't... I want to hear what your interpretation is rather than reading it beforehand, knowing stuff. So I'm just trying to quickly like delete, delete, and also I saw classic and I giggled for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, God, let me tell you, Yardley uh, Smith, who is the voice of Lisa Simpson, is fantastic. Uh, Curtis, are you dead? And like. Even Pat Hingle, uh, as the owner, Hendershot, calling everybody Bubba. Uh, God damn it. There, there's so, a boy gets gets rolled over by a steamroller, okay? Yeah, that and, is pretty awesome. All right. If nothing else, I don't know. Maybe this is just me. But as a kid, seeing the VHS case and seeing that goddamn goblin truck, that kind of creeped me that, out. That was iconic, too. That thing. Yeah. That goblin truck and the, the VHS case, like you said. It, it really, like, it, it made it seem far scarier than it ever was, but that goblin, yeah. I, dude, I'd considered getting a tattoo of the goblin. Okay? Yeah. So, I mean, why not? <laughs> um, and again, this is a case where the, the movie falls way far away from the fucking original short story. Not as bad as Lawnmower Man, but pretty far. Yeah, like but, like they don't fight back. They they are not able to fight back at all in the story. <laughs> Come on, like he learned that the thing was doing Morse code. The gun was like they were honking Morse code. That shit is brilliantly bad. Like, no, it's definitely <sighs> something that needs to be appreciated at least once. And, and like, I, wh- you know what? I really like Emilio as an actor, and I wish he had gotten more 
roles. I, I mean, I don't know how much of it was just him being picky over what he chose to do and just taking, you know, not getting offered as much as, like, say, his brother. But Right. Um, also, what, did this come out? This came out after Flash Gordon, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Flash Gordon was early 80s, like 81 or 82, I think. I mean, if you think about it, there was, you know, in that time frame, you had Flash Gordon, you had, like, Suspiria a few years before Flash Gordon, but, like, back then, like, so there was a handful of movies where the soundtrack was done by a single band, and in this case, I, I mean, ACDC, I don't know, that, that's my shit, so, like, I, I, I love the soundtrack, and uh, wasn't, like, one of Trump's ex-wives, Marla Maples, was she was married to him at one point, right? Yeah, I think so. So she's in it, and also I, I gotta throw out one other thing: Stephen King saying, "Honey, <laughs> this thing's calling me an asshole," while he's trying to, to get money off the ATM. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Yeah, it's. So, <laughs> it is not a good movie, but it's a fun movie. Yeah, it's a fun movie to just watch with friends, have a couple beers, and laugh. I, I, I am not trying to say it's Oscar worthy in any way, but it is fun. That's my my take. Which moves us into probably one of the best re- regarded Stephen King movies, um, in Stand by Me. Yeah, great movie, great. Great did that, cast. Did that win like, the Oscar that year? No. Was he even nominated? I don't remember. I re- I wouldn't be surprised, but nominated for one Oscar. So it was only nominated for one Oscar. Uh, it was nominated for best writing screenplay. So, not even for best film or anything. Yeah. Which is sad. But yeah, it's a really good fucking movie. Like. All four kids, well, I mean, River, you know, aside, uh, you know, his life was cut short, tragically, but I mean, you know, Will Wheaton has gone on to have a good career. Jerry O'Connell, same thing. Feldman, well, he had his time in the sun. It, it like, it was such an 80s cast, right? Yeah, it was one of the 80s of 80s casts. Oh, hey, I, you I know what's, I'd put what's this funny in the top is, 25. I didn't remember that that was Jerry O'Connell for, as the fat kid as a fat kid for years and then I'm like wow he definitely wanted to get rid of that so he fucking got jacked <laughs> compared to all the other people that he and worked with and then he with. did sliders yep and so I, I I know I'll go over this but even though I didn't include there's a few movies that I just didn't include in any of my list because I tried to keep it very horror-centric. I will say an honorable mention for best antagonist did go to Kiefer playing as Ace Merrill because, my God, he was such a good dickhead. And I mean, Kiefer Sutherland was such was great in the 80s as just playing a complete asshole, right? Yeah, yeah. It's fin- fantastic. Uh I don't know. I, I, I truly enjoyed the movie. It Once again, it's one of those things that's not going to appear on my list in part B of the podcast because it's not even really horror adjacent in any way. It's just a really good movie, though. I don't know. The scene with the leeches. Oh, God. You know what? You're right. The, the leeches? Outside of that, though, yeah, you're, you're correct. Yeah. Absolutely correct. Running from the train may have been the second most horrific thing. Yep. Yeah. 
But I, I do remember the leeches really bothered me as a kid. Oh yeah, that taught me not to to go into no swimming hole. Well, that that's taught me originally, and then Creepshow Two fucking solidified that. For me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so yeah, this is a great movie, and it's uh, pretty pretty true to the book too. Well, okay. to the story. Good. Uh, moving on. I don't yes. know. This, this one's probably going to be divisive. But <laughs> we, we come to The Running Man. <sighs> I don't know. Part of me part of me loves this movie. You know, I, I bought it on Blu-ray as soon as it came out. But, you know, really? I, re- I rewatch it, <laughs> and I'm like, this is, this is definitely a guilty pleasure fucking movie. It's... It's not good. It's it's such an '80s Arnold vehicle, through and through. It, it's pure cheese, but I mean, it they is. could have it's even labeled cheesy. it the Running Man Guilty Pleasure Edition. Like, it, it, I mean, it has a six point seven on IMDb. It doesn't deserve that. I know it doesn't, uh, dude. This is a movie that I watch on Raylene's birthday. Th- this is the movie. Yeah. Okay, yeah. like. And, and the cast, my God, the cast. It's like, got a good cast. It really does. I didn't realize how many people, um, you know, when I watched it originally. Fucking Ventura, uh, Yafit Kato. I, I don't know if that's exactly how I pronounce his name, but Jim Brown, Maria Con- Conchita Alonso. I think she went on to do some horror stuff. And, of course, one of my guilty pleasures, fucking Richard Dawson, man, I I love Dawson. So, I, dude, I, I don't forgot. Know. I forgot Mick Fleetwood was fucking in it. <laughs> yeah, dude, it, yeah. it's it's crazy. Like the cast was Dweezil Zappa. I I know he was he's a musician, right? Yeah, he's Frank Zappa's son. Okay, yeah, like it's that's a stacked cast. I I don't know. It's, it it's really not a good movie, but it's a movie. Once again, it's like. Kind of like Maximum Overdrive. You can watch it with friends. You can sit there, have a good laugh, enjoy it, and at the end, be like, "What the fuck did I just watch?" You, and they're going to remake it. Do you think this was one of the yeah the, the remake they're talking about though is remaking and actually doing the the short story instead of remaking the movie? Okay, like how how does uh, well ask your question first. All right, um, do you think? Uh, that this was really the first movie that really, really leaned into Arnie's one-liners? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, because some of them happen, you know, by, you know, like, I'll be back kind of shit happen, you know. Organically, yeah. Organically. I, I think uh, Maybe just, Commando or maybe this, I think, were really the ones that kind of... Yeah, th- this was... Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could definitely see him, like, mugging for the camera with a couple of those lines. <laughs> I imagine everybody on set just smiled and like had a great laugh as they like. I I bet that was one of the happiest sets, right? I don't know. I mean, Dynamo maybe. Maybe. <laughs> uh, Dynamo. <laughs> Wait, Professor Toru Tanaka. I feel like he used to be a pro wrestler. He might have been. I'm not sure on that. But all right, do they have anybody listed like for casting for this uh, remake? Do you know? Like, I mean, basically, are they going to give get the Rock? 
I don't think so. Okay. I mean, there's nobody, no actors attached from what I'm seeing. Now, yeah. my question to you was going to be, what, because I've never read it, like, what, how's the book, for, how's this differ from the book? Like, I, I have no clue. Um, all right. So, uh, you, it was a reality show. You can go anywhere in the world and you're chased by the general public who get a huge bounty if they kill you. So it's not like, it's not like they're named hunters or stalkers or whatever they call them. Um, and it wasn't like, uh, Richard was like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was like a normal dude. In some ways, I think a regular dude would. Ha- I hope when they redo it, they do a regular dude rather than like, you know, because we don't really need another Arnold role. We have that like nobody's going out do Arnold doing Arnold, right? Yeah. So to give us an every like, I don't know. Why did I just think of James Franco? I I don't know, but whatever. Give me a normal dude, though. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just think James James Franco could work. Right. Why not? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It's just, was this also, like, I can't think of a movie before this that did, like, a, a thing where, like, people were being hunted down for, like, a TV show or a purpose. Like, then you get Surviving the Game. You get, you know, more recently we had The Hunt. Battle Royale. Um, Slashers, a very un- unknown movie that's fantastically awful and cheap, but I own a copy. Highly recommend it, by the way. I don't think you'll be able to find it. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, again, uh, a lot of his shit showed up on lists of um, stuff to be remade after it was so successful and we'll see how much of it actually comes out um, I mean the, the closest newspaper or excuse me a news article I was able to find was from February of this year saying that James Wright was going to direct it so that would be interesting because I find him to be an interesting director in the first place what else has he done? Uh, Baby Driver uh, Shaun of the Dead Okay. Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim. Okay, I can see that working. Yeah, um, it would definitely be a, a different take, you know. How 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 long do you think this renewed love of Stephen King stories? Do you th- do you think it can last a whole decade? Say from like until like 2027, because I feel like it came out in 2017. So say 2027, do you think that they can ride the nostalgia wave that long? I think uh, they can. I don't, because look at what have we gotten since 2017. Pet Cemetery, which didn't do well. Yeah, well, that's... the Mist TV show didn't do well. Yeah. Correct. Uh, Gerald's Game did pretty pretty decent, but it wasn't super successful. Doctor Sleep, which wasn't a remake, but it was still nostalgia filled. Yeah, I mean. Um, if the ones we keep getting are decent, then yes, I think it can, but... Uh, do, you, do you think Firestarter needs to be successful for it to keep going? Yeah. I, I think a lot hinges on that. I think I think the ones that are in development actually coming out need to do well. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I, I think that makes some sense. 
All right, moving on. We go into one of the scariest fucking thing. Like the reason why I don't go into lakes anymore. <laughs> into the creep show too. What you don't like old Native American statues? Uh, no, I don't like no. like um, amorphous blobs that uh, pull people through the planks on the f- fucking raft out in the middle of the lake. <laughs> this was another one of those Fox afternoon movies that when I first saw it, and um, once again, once you see the unedited version, it's like, oh, there's tits in this. Cool. You know, when when you're young, of course. Well, hell, as an adult, I don't care. I still get excited seeing tits first time in a movie. Whatever. I don't care. I'm good with that. So, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I don't... I don't remember the first one being bad. Old old Chief Woodenhead or whatever it's called? Yeah, just kind of average. It's a perfectly good slasher revenge type thing. Because the old couple gets massacred by these thugs that break in, like three white dudes, I think. Yeah. And the statue comes to life and murders them with a was a knife, a bone arrow, and I can't remember the third thing. Um. So I mean, it was it was okay for for an opener, right? Yeah. And then the raft was fucking good. I remember that. That still bugs me when I think about it. Here's my question: Should they re- should the raft have been the second or third story? I think it should have been the third. I think you end it with the raft. You end it I with think. the strong one. Yeah. I mean, it, I liked Hitchhiker. I think Hitch. I think it's called Hitchhiker. Yeah. I think that was good. I think it was the second best, but I would have definitely switched those two in order. I don't know. We used when I remember watching this in Long Island again at my grandparents' house with my brother and my cousin, and we were just laughing so hard because. Because the guy was like, thanks for the lad, lady. Thanks for the lad. Yeah, instead of ride. Right, you know, yeah. So. That, that guy was fantastic. So we, we just... It, it, when it made us laugh instead of, you know, creeping us out, like the second segment did, uh, it just... <laughs> I don't know. But what? the raft is strong <laughs> enough on, a, on its own that, you know, I think this is good. All right. So a couple things. I realized I gave this movie an 8.0, and it's not an 8.0, but that just shows how much I love The Raft, and my scoring is definitely skewed when I look back at some of my first couple years of reviews. Like, I just kind of cringe a little bit at the scores, but that's how much I love The Raft. Secondly, we know that Tom Savini played the creep, but (laughs) there's a rumor that Nick Cage at one point was supposed to be the creep, and that makes me giggle. (laughs) Yeah, okay. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> so, I, I think, honestly, if, if you take away the raft and just put something mediocre in, this isn't even close to being as good as Creepshow 1, but because the raft is such a good... And the ending, my God, the ending, like, was he, like, I beat you or whatever. Yeah, yep. Oh, such a good ending. So good. Yeah. yeah, it was good. <sighs> Gosh, we're almost done with the 80s and this... All right. Well, well it's going to go a little quick because the next thing is a return to Salem's Lot in 1987. <laughs> I never saw it. I have I have no 
no frame of reference for it. I uh, read about it. They don't even bring back like the original, like any of the characters. Like it sounds like they just had the name, they had like the rights to Sam's Lot, and they made some shitty movie that nobody liked. I don't have anything else to offer about that because the only thing I've done is read about it a little bit. I was like, this doesn't even seem interesting. I did see a little snippet of it, and uh uh-uh. Not uh, for me. Well, moving on. (laughs) Yeah. All right. This is going to be one of the first big disagreements we have, but uh, we come to Pet Cemetery in 1989. Oh, we're not talking about Tales from the Dark Side? Uh, Wasn't that in 1990? Tales from... Oh, God, I'm looking at the TV series. My bad. You're actually following the list that I made. Yes. I'm an idiot. Go on. Well, anyways... um, (laughs) (sighs) All right. I'll let you talk about this one. All right. I didn't realize how many lines of Judd's that I loved, and I didn't realize that I'm not alone in the love for Judd Crandall's character... And I know we'll talk about the remake, but one thing I want to say is how great Fred Gwynn was, who isn't, I would say, isn't nearly as, a, as accomplished of an actor as John Lithgow is, but yet Fred owned that role. And there's a lot of nostalgia as a kid. This was, I mean, I remember in school it was talked about as one of the scariest films that anybody had seen. Zelda is still a that that scene with Zelda is still creepy. Pascal's still creepy. It's dated really badly, though. It really, really dates poorly. And it's also, I don't know, there's some really eh, hackneyed acting in, in it. But, I don't know, the nostalgia still carries it strong for me. And I still prefer it to the remake, but... Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of curious now to hear your your perspective on this. This was one that I didn't see. I was I was in the army, so I was in my twenties when I saw this, and I remember you know it, it tops a lot of lists. People well not tops, but it's on a lot of lists where people are like, oh yeah, it's one of the scariest movies ever made. And then I watched it, and you know by the time I watched it, you know it was coming up against things like, The Ring. The Grudge, <laughs> Saw, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The the cat was that church. <laughs> the cat was good, but as soon as yeah. the, the sun comes back, I was like, yeah, this is like the shittiest fucking, like, real special effects that I fucking seen. No, I would agree with you. Fred Gwynn did a really good job. I liked him in it a lot. I like Fred Gwynn as an actor, and I think he was like kind of shoehorned into some roles after playing. Um, uh, what was his his name Herman? on the monster? Yeah, on, on the monsters. Yeah, but you know he was he was great in that. I mean, I think he was really good in My Cousin Vinny, and a lot of people you know, don't remember him as being the the judge in that. Right. Um, you know, Miko Hughes, the one who played Gage, was also in Kindergarten Cop and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Interesting. He so, was one of the main boys in Kindergarten Cop. He may have been the boys that penis girls have a China kid. <laughs> he may have been. I'm not 100% on that, but I think... So, also, 
I want to throw out another fact that I just learned yesterday, the day before, that it was actually a man that played the role of Zelda. Andrew Hubastek. Interesting, Interesting, right? Yeah. And I will say this, too. I don't remember them going too far into, like, the, the Native American mythology with, like, the Wendigo stuff in the original. The, the Micmac tribe, I think it was called. I was like, holy shit. But, so, yesterday I, I watched the South Park parodies of Judd's character, mm-hmm. which always, you know, a lot of history down that road, yeah. And, uh, I don't know. Really, if you take away Judd, I don't think the movie's that good, quite frankly. Dale Midkiff tried as Lewis. Uh, the lady that played Rachel, I... What, all right, did you read the story? Like, was she supposed to be that way? Because I couldn't stand her in this version. I... Yeah, I read the story. I don't remember. You know, like... Did she not seem like extra... I want to say... It's not bitchy. No, I, I, not, I, I didn't like her in the original either. She was just tough to like. She was very unlikable. But, yeah, I, if you didn't see it by a certain time, and I would say this about love horror. So There's a love horror that just was scary for its time, and it's very tame and mundane. You know, by the time you saw it, of course, like, it's not holding a candle to the fucking ring or the grudge. Or, yeah, yeah, I mean, so... It, so I don't know. I mean, I know you really, you really liked it. I, when I saw it, I did not like it. I, yeah, I I get the idea. And and why it would be scary, you know, being able to bring somebody back and have them come back different. But um, I almost liked Pet Cemetery two <laughs> more than the original. Oh dear lord! But. I am well, a, Clancy Brown's happy. I am a, yeah, I was that. a big, a big Clancy Brown fan. Yeah, you know, watching the new season of Dexter with him in it, you know, it's just making me happy. So, good. Um, but outside of that, I think this is uh, probably one of the only big differentiations we'll have on the list. Well, I mean, it's kind of similar to how I was before rewatching Sam's Lot and finally, like, being like, oh, I finally, you know. I mean, for years, I would have told you that Salem's Lot sucked. So, you know, like, we all have our outliers, so to speak. All right. So, we come to Graveyard Shift. Or, no, excuse me. Sorry. Tales from Dark Side? My Tales from Dark I moved a little too far down. Tales from the Dark Side, I fucking... It was one of the first anthology movies I really remember seeing. And I fucking loved it. I don't... I don't know if it holds up. I haven't seen it in a long time, but uh, it it does. It it's a very it's slightly above average, and I should note that Stephen King only did the, the middle segment. Ha- the, yeah, well. which unfortunately I think is probably the weakest one. Uh good lord! I just watched it. What the hell was the third part? Oh, the third part is the gargoyle. Yeah. I showed that to Raylene. She thought it was the most unbelievably stupid thing, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? It has James Remar in it." Yeah, and Radon Trunk. Yeah, but Cat from Hell actually, I didn't re- recognize. So you had William Hickey, who I've always loved from the episode of Tales from the Crypt that Arnold Schwarzenegger directed. 
Now, his butler in Cat from Hell was the guy, I can't remember the character's name, from Breaking Bad that was in the wheelchair that rang the bell and didn't talk. Mm -hmm. I was like, holy shit, it's that guy. He's awesome. So that was cool. But, like, it's weird to watch it now because the first story has, you know, young Christian Slater, unknown Steve Buscemi. Julianne Moore does not even look like Julianne Moore. No, she doesn't. Uh, so it's very weird, but it's enjoyable. That that one's quite enjoyable to me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I remember watching it. and I was like, man, is there any way to get out of that shit at the end? I was like, I don't think there is. You know, there's there's like one door in the fucking, they're in the in between you and him. You know, there's not even a window to fucking jump out of. Right. Now, all right, did you find the gargoyle ending to be satisfying? Because I did, Raylene thought it was stupid, and I said, there's no other place for that story to go other than where it went. That yeah. was my... Pain. Yeah, I I find that one just sad. You know, I really liked it, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was sad. It, I Would you have ended... Would you have changed the order of the stories? I like asking this about anthologies. Would you have changed the order of the stories at all for this? I don't think so. It's like, in my opinion, and I mean, I, I know we just, but I, I think you want to start with something strong and you want to end with probably the strongest if you can. And I think having Cat from Hell as, in my opinion, the weakest segment in the middle is probably the best placement. And I think Lot 249 works a little better with the, there's a lot of humor in it compared to Lover's Vow. To, to kick it off and then end with the kind of depressing one. I mean, and then you, you jump back to the, the wraparound story, you know, to finish. But, but Which, yeah, I think the, it works. The kid was like Joey Lawrence's brother, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Which is just a fun little treat. Oh, and the witch was Debbie Harry from Blondie, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought it worked pretty well. I mean, I remember this was, I used to... I wouldn't say watch it a lot, but yeah, this was like like a horror thing that I would watch with my family. You know, and I, like my mom and my dad, you know. It, it wasn't too graphic. It wasn't too sexual. It was something you could watch with people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. All right. And the only one was the, the Cat from Hell, and that was actually a pretty, almost like one-to-one translation of the short story. That makes sense. Well, it, now, originally, I, this was something I was going to bring up. This was originally supposed to be Creep Show 3, but that fell apart. I could, yeah, I could have seen how that happened. Yeah, that that's what was supposed to originally happen. So then they end up somehow getting the name Tales from the Dark Side from the TV show and whatever. But yeah, this was originally supposed to be Creep Show 3. So, little fun, sad fact, depending on how you want to look at it. Well, moving on, we come to Graveyard Shift. The Graveyard Shift. This was probably, in my opinion, just a shitty fucking movie. It was... I don't know, have you seen it? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I, I got done watching it, and I was like, this feels like a fucking full moon movie. Now, when you finished watching it, did you stay to watch the credits and hear the delightful song? Uh, probably. I mean, it's 
I, I remember like this was one of the ones that like my dad came home with a video like the fucking first night it came out on VHS and we watched it and we were like huh even my dad and my dad can uh, we we used to call him B-Movie Lou and, <laughs> and like even he couldn't really like he's like I don't, I don't really think there's anything to salvage in this one alright I'm gonna present a couple of positive things because I remember as a kid thinking this was absolutely fucking st- just stupid <laughs> and then I watched it last year and I was like this is bad but my god the guy that plays the boss uh, his name is Steven Macht I think M-A-C-H-T mm-hmm. he plays Warwick that dude is great he's like almost he reminds me a lot of John Barenthal in a lot of ways he's really good and um, Brad Dourif like it's a small role but Brad Dourif almost always gives you something positive oh yeah right? definitely Brad Dourif is just one of those character actors who really dives into whatever role he's fucking doing he never takes away from from what he's you know like he always adds something positive and yeah the la- the last act is like it quality bad which I know we're getting close to that but like god damn it why what the hell's the obsession with these giant ass stupid monsters as the, like the last act like what is the obsession and why are they so bad that's my question to you I don't know I mean in in the book the thing was just a giant rat it wasn't like a giant bat so I you know the short story so I don't know why they decided to change that you know especially when it was like all about getting the rats out of the fucking the factory or whatever the place they were working yeah, it was like a textile mill thing yeah it yeah, was, uh, yeah it's not a good movie but it's a movie I can watch and just kind of chuckle at and have in the background yeah that's my piece for that and to be honest i didn't think it was a great short story either so making it the title story for the the short story anthology that it's in i don't know kind of surprising right yeah yeah uh which brings us to it all right all right so straight out it's fucking dated now i'm sorry you can't i went back and rewatched it four years ago, five years ago, maybe before the, the, the newer version came out and yeah, it's, it's dated. The special effects don't hold up a lot of the, um, like, I don't think even when they released it on Blu-ray, I don't think they did a, like a good transfer job. So, no, they didn't. Um, on the other hand, uh, I think a lot of the performances were really good. You know, I loved Tim Curry as Pennywise. Um, the the kids, I think, did a really good job for the, the youthful areas. Um, Seth Green, before yeah, he was famous. Way before he was famous. No, I think I just, I liked it a lot. It's, it's, it's definitely one that fucking didn't age well, though. I mean, that's, that's just the first fucking thing that's got to be said. For... For our age, for our generation, when that came out, that was one of the definitive horror movies as a child because it kind of attacked a bunch of things that kids find scary, right? Yeah. And, you know, the first half's way better. But, you know, even the second half had Harry Anderson and freaking John Ritter, which was cool, and Ned O'Toole. Um, 
but my, my stepdad is is John Ritter's cousin. So like, really? Yeah, yeah. So like, seeing you know, like it's just it gets like a little bump for me. You know, anything with him in it. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, all right. So hell, I don't even know if you know this. Do you know that my shower curtain is Tim Curry as Pennywise? I did not. Yeah. So, I mean, I I. I have a box of, like, Pennywise O's cereal. I really fucking like this character, and I really wanted to get the Pennywise tattoo before the remake came out, and by the time the remake came out, I was like, no, there's going to be a million fucking Pennywise tattoos. So then that was just off the fucking table for a while, Yeah, unfortunately. It just was. With that being said, like, the first half, once again, just... Is so good, and by the time you get to the adult part, the the effects got worse and worse and worse as it progressed. And like, all right, I, I have a question since now I've seen both the remake and the original. Is is uh, you know, like in the original, the whole thing was Bill trying like rescue his wife from the, the spider thing. Is that in the book or no? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because. That's not in the remake. No, they they did the the remake. They basically like just morphed Pennywise into like a Pennywise spider thing, kind of. Yeah. I have so many jokes to make at that expense, but that's for a later time. Um, but yeah, so like there <laughs> there are certain things that the remakes skewed close closer to the books with, like in at the end of part one they go into the house rather than into the sewers, right? Wait, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and in the original, they just went into the sewers. They never even did the house as a, um, as a, as a plot, as an area, because they were cutting down on, on locations. Well, yeah, it was made for, it was an yeah, ABC was miniseries. miniseries. Yep. Jonathan uh, Brandis. And then in the second part, though, like, yeah, it's a it's a giant spider, it's hatching its egg. You know that's one, one of the things that they come up with. You know I, I missed the line that fucking Eddie gives her. You know I believe in the Easter Bunny. I believe in Santa Claus. You know eat battery acid scum. Right. Yeah, I missed that Thank from you. the sequel too. You know I really wish that had been in there. Yeah. So I mean, in my perfect world, an it movie or miniseries or whatever you do would be like the best parts of the original and the best parts of the new ones merged into each other. God, yes. But, I, you know, I like the original. I like the remakes. They both have good things to say about them. Yeah, I think I think it's a good thing that both of them cut out the whole Beverly gangbang in the, su- in the sewers after they rescue her in the first one. You know, oh, like, dude. I don't, I don't think that just really... I don't know. I don't think that really translates well off the page into a fucking movie or sort miniseries. But here's the thing that bothered me, and I even included in my review. I'm like, I am so sick of hearing people bitch that that scene wasn't in the movie. I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with you people? Why do you why do you want to see that first and foremost? And why is that like your big holdup about? Like it chap well, it wasn't it chapter one, it was just it. But whatever the case may be, like, why was that your hold up? Like, oh, they didn't show a bunch of kids having sex. I'm like, that's your hold up. That that's your first major complaint that came from your mouth. And I swear, like, if you read online like when it came out, that was a complaint. I was like, 
dude, people are fucked. People are weird. Uh, just that that's not a complaint. <laughs> I'm so, it's just not a it's not a complaint. If that was your complaint, stop, just stop. Um I have here's my question. Henry Bowers, I think he was much better portrayed in the original than the I yeah, I would agree. I do agree. I, I felt that was something they kind of were a little weak on, quite frankly. Yep, I, I would agree that. I mean, I it's been a while since I read the book, but I don't remember Bev thinking that Bill was the one who wrote all the... The poem? Yeah. I'll tell you this. So, back in the day when Kmart was in Amsterdam before... It closed and then it reopened like a decade later. Back in the early Kmart days, when my mom would go shopping, I'd go look at magazines and then I would find it. And I actually read through a good chunk of it while my mom was shopping at random times throughout like the course of a year. I, I read through mm-hmm. a good chunk and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've never finished the book, but I really just, I've always been captivated by the story. So, um, yeah, that's um, okay. We got one more. I'm going to make a suggestion. Mm-hmm. Once we finish with the next one and we close out 1990, we should pause. Yeah, no problem. Okay. All right. So, all right. Before we get to our pause, dear listeners, uh, again, another one of Stephen King's. I, I would one of his best movies. Um, it's only a little bit off of the book, but uh, Misery. And this one, I'm pretty sure, did win Academy Awards. It sure it had, it won one Oscar, and it was nominated for stuff. Uh, Kathy Bates won for Best Actress. Best, she fucking deserved it. Uh, absolutely, fucking, fucking And try, I put her on the board too, because I don't remember seeing Kathy Bates in anything before that. And since then, I'm glad we have. She's a fucking amazing actress. Did she do Fried Green Tomatoes before this? Um, I'm looking it up. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember, but wow, what a fucking good, good. like it's, it's not just the performances, it's not just the story, it's the fucking pacing for the. I, I forgot. I was watching somebody do like a review of this on YouTube a year ago, a year or two ago, somewhere within the last you know one or two years, and they're absolutely like they're able to build so much tension in such little things like him trying to get out of the chair and make sure that all of the knickknacks are back in place when he knocks one over. Like the, the tension, the pacing is fucking amazing in this movie. Dude, this is the highest compliment I can pay it. I have this rated tied as my number one Stephen King movie along with the shining. That's how highly I think of this movie as a whole. Like, it's, I don't want to say it's flawless, but I mean, it's damn close. It's one of the best horror movies ever. Uh, uh, horrors, it's, it's horror, it's thriller. It, there's a lot going on with it. And then it has the scene that oh, I don't yeah. think, I don't know anybody that didn't cringe when they first, actually, every time I see it, I cringe, right? Yeah, the hobbling. And in the book, she actually cuts his foot off. But do you think that's a kinder way? I don't. I (laughs) the hobbling really bothers me. Like 
It's it's like straight up fucking body horror at that point. Dude, it is so fucking <laughs> it is that's one of the most visually difficult scenes and you know, I'm a huge fan of extreme horror and that still holds up really well. I would put it on par acting. I would put it on par with like the the scene in fucking audition. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah, um I don't know, like we we do a, a top list, and I think the hobbling is probably the the number one, yeah, scariest scene out of any of his movies, straight up. Yeah, it's high up on mine. And you know what the weird thing is, Rob Reiner was the director, which I didn't even know that, and it's kind of weird to think about Rob Reiner as the director of this, to me at least. Yeah, and William Goldman was the the writer. I mean. It's it they they just said fucking all around. I mean, think about it. The guy who wrote this is also the guy who wrote the Princess Bride. That's yeah. That's fucking weird. It, it it's so good though, and also Fran, Francis Sternhagen, who appeared, I want to say, in the Golden Years, which we will briefly touch on later, mm-hmm. is in it. As is J T. Walsh, who played a much bigger role later on in. Needful things. Yeah. But, I mean, this was basically a two-person show, and my God, yeah. th- this was before Fried Green Tomatoes and Kathy Bates was incredible. Yeah, I'm, I've never been a huge James Caan fan. I, I, for whatever reason, you know, it's just like a lot of his filmography was stuff that either I didn't watch or, like, I watched and I just wasn't a big fan of him in. But, like, even in this, like, he's fucking good. Kathy Bates is awesome. So well, yeah, for me, Jim, Jimmy Khan, it's Godfather, Misery, and I'm kind of out after that. So yeah. I'm with you on that. Like, um, I remember watching. Was he? I think he was undercover, and he he was in one where like he had to play go undercover in like the homosexual community back in like the the seventies or the early eighties when that was still like super taboo okay that was pretty good i remember like and i like is it hide in plain sight by any chance um shit i don't remember uh you just go probably not i was just looking at titles no definitely not that's about witness protection (laughs) i took a stab at it i failed i don't remember but um Oh, I, I really like the program. So yeah, he was in that. But yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I never saw Brian's song. You know, which fucking people were always oh. yeah. Oh, that, I mean, that movie just is there to make you fucking cry, but it's really fucking good. Um, I never saw Bridge Too Far. I never saw Rollerball. Yeah, I never saw um, the original either. I saw the remake. Yeah, so. Yeah. Wait, he was in something called Slither. I can't. Could that have been the? Nope, that is not the original to the one I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, I like I liked him in Alienation. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just like he was in a lot of things that I didn't watch. He was very overhyped though because of Godfather. Like, everybody yeah. that was in Godfather got a lot of hype, which is understandable. But still, yeah. All right. All right. So we're going to take a break here, guys, and we'll we'll be back to go into the 
1990s through the modern day. Um, so either yeah. download us again or stay with us, depending upon how you're listening. All right.